to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans, chapter 8. And I'm going to read and then preach verses 16 and 17 this morning of Romans 8. In this part of the letter, Paul has been talking about our adoption as believers, our spiritual adoption into the family of God, where we go from being children of wrath, which is what we are by nature, all of us, as the Bible says, to being children of God by grace through faith in Christ. And in the two verses we have before us this morning, he talks first about the witness of the Spirit regarding our adoption, uh, how the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are, in fact, children of God. And then he says that if we are children of God, then we are heirs of God. And we're going to think about what that means and how truly glorious that is, that all who believe in Christ are heirs of God himself. So we'll talk about the witness of the Spirit to our adoption and the fact that as children of God, we are heirs of God. But first, let's pray and ask God's blessing on the reading and the preaching of his word. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. Your word is true. It is truth itself. It is absolute truth and the standard of truth in the universe Your word is powerful. It is the most powerful force in the universe. It is mighty to save and to sanctify. And your word is also precious. It is more valuable than thousands of gold and silver pieces. It is sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. And so we thank you again for the gift of your word. We thank you for opening our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, to your word so that we could understand it, so that we could see our need to repent of our sin and put our faith in Christ, so that we could conform our lives to what it says by your enabling grace. And we ask that as we come again together to your word this morning, that you would open our eyes again and sanctify us again and fill our minds with your truth. Give us confidence in the fact that we are your children by faith in light of the witness of the Spirit, and give us hope in light of the fact that we are your heirs. We are heirs of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 8, reading verses 16 and 17. This is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. As you can see in your sermon notes there, again, we're going to look first at the witness of the Spirit in verse 16 and then at the fact that we are heirs of God in verse 17. Paul's been saying a lot about the Spirit leading up to these verses. Back in verse 13, he said that the Spirit empowers us. Then in verse 14, he said that the Spirit leads us. Then in verse 15, he said that the Spirit enables us to cry, Abba, Father. 
Now here in verse 16, he says that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit, that we are children of God. This reminds us right off the bat that the Spirit is personal, not impersonal. He's a he, not an it. He's a personal being, not an impersonal force. May the force be with you is not the same as saying, may the Spirit be with you. The Spirit is not like the force in Star Wars. Praying a morning prayer to the universe is not the same as praying a morning prayer to the Spirit. The Spirit is not the universe. The Spirit is God. The Spirit is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. The Spirit is the same in substance and equal in power and glory with the Father and with the Son. The Spirit is not an impersonal force that can be manipulated in various ways to serve our own desires. No, He has a distinct character. He has certain attributes. He is infinite and eternal and unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth, as our Shorter Catechism summarizes. And He does things. He acts, he speaks, he works. He hovered over the face of the waters in Genesis 1, participating in creation. He inspired holy scripture, and he illumines our minds to understand scripture. He regenerates our dead hearts and unites us to Jesus Christ. He gives gifts to his church. He indwells the hearts of his people, as we've been thinking about from Romans 8. He fills us. He sanctifies us. He bears fruit in us. He intercedes for us. He convicts us of sin, and he shines the spotlight on our Savior, Jesus Christ. And like I just mentioned from the previous verses, he empowers us and leads us and enables us to cry, Abba, Father. And he bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's who the Spirit is. That's what the Spirit does. He's not an impersonal force. He's a personal being. He is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God. And let's just simply be reminded of that together here at the outset and allow our understanding of the Spirit to be corrected and adjusted if needed. Let's be glad that the Spirit has done and is doing these things in us as believers, sanctifying us, bearing fruit in us, empowering us, enabling us to cry, Abba, Father, as children of God. Well, Paul says here that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. How does he do that? What does that look like exactly? Well, he does that in two ways, at least. Number one, he bears witness by applying the word to our hearts. And number two, he bears witness by interceding for us. We'll think about each of those in turn. Number one, he bears witness by applying the word to our hearts, by applying the truths of the word specifically regarding adoption to our hearts. So we read verses like John 1, 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Or we read 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us 
that we should be called children of God, and so we are. We read these verses, we read many other verses like them, and the Spirit applies these truths to our hearts. He illumines our minds to understand them. He certifies, if you will, the truthfulness of them. He convinces us that these words are true of us. He seals our hearts and applies these words personally to our hearts. It's as if he puts your name in front of them and addresses them directly to you as a believer. As one author put it, the Spirit impresses these words upon the hearts of believers for their comfort and edification. The Spirit bears witness that we are children of God by applying the word to our hearts, by applying the truths of the word regarding adoption personally and powerfully to our hearts. Number two, the Spirit bears witness that we are children of God also by interceding for us. Look at what Paul says down in verse 26 of chapter 8. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit bears witness that we are children of God by interceding for us. He bears witness witness with our spirits, Paul says, which as a side note, reminds us that the spirit is distinct from our spirit. We have a spirit, a soul, an inner man. And if we're a believer, we also have the Holy Spirit inside us. But the two don't become one. We don't become divine. Our human spirit doesn't sort of meld with the spirit of God. Rather, the Spirit of God remains the Spirit of God, and our human spirit remains our human spirit, and the Spirit of God comes to dwell within us. And one of the things he does is he bears witness with our human spirit that we are children of God. He bears witness alongside our spirit that we are children of God. So our spirit bears witness that we are children of God every time we pray, in faith. Every time we cry, Abba, Father, we bear witness to our adoption as his children. Our own spirit takes the stand and gives testimony. Our own spirit bears witness to the reality of our adoption. But then a second witness is called to the stand, a better witness, a greater witness, and that is the spirit himself. And he bears witness with our spirit that we are God's children. So the Spirit bears witness by applying the word to our hearts and by interceding for us. And let's just consider for a moment the fruit of that witness, the result of that witness, is greater assurance for us of our status as adopted children of the Father. That's a good thing because we all struggle with assurance at times. Perhaps we wonder more generally, is all this really real? Is all this really true? 
Or is all this really real and true of me personally? Am I a child of God or am I deceived? We might wonder. Well, one of the ways our faith and our assurance can be strengthened is through the witness of the Spirit. Our faith and our assurance can be strengthened when we grasp what these verses here in Romans 8 are saying. That not only does our spirit bear witness that we are children of God, whenever we pray, whenever we are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, but also the Spirit himself bears witness with, alongside our spirit, that we are children of God by applying the word to our hearts and by interceding for us when we pray. And that second witness especially can be a great comfort and a great encouragement to us, a great help to us when it comes to our assurance of being God's child. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 18, paragraph 2, summarizing biblical teaching on this, says that our assurance is based on, quote, the divine truth of the promises of salvation, the inward evidence of those graces unto which these promises are made, the testimony of the spirit of adoption witnessing with our spirits that we are the children of God, which spirit is the earnest of our inheritance, whereby we are sealed to the day of redemption. As Paul himself says later in Scripture, 2 Corinthians 1.22, God has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee And in Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, he writes, In him, Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So the bottom line here is that assurance of salvation comes from the Spirit, At least in part, it is given and strengthened through this witness of the Spirit that Paul talks about. The Spirit himself bearing witness by applying the word to our hearts and by interceding for us. Bearing witness with our spirit that we are, in fact, the children of God. So practically, I would just encourage you simply to pray that the witness of the Spirit would be clear to you. As you read the word, as you pray, to the Father, ask the Spirit to strengthen your assurance through his witness, and simply thank God that he has given us this means by which we can be greater assured that we are his children. So that's our first main point here, the witness of the Spirit in verse 16 to the fact that we are God's children. Paul then turns in verse 17 to make the connection between being God's children And being God's heirs. Let's look at that now under our second main point. Heirs of God. Look again at verse 17. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And I want us to think about the last part of the verse First, starting with provided, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be 
glorified with him. Paul's saying that if we suffer with Christ, then we show that we are truly fellow heirs with Christ. Conversely, if we are not willing to suffer with Christ, then we show that we are not truly heirs with Christ. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. To be clear, it's not that our suffering with Christ makes us heirs with Christ. No, our sufferings cannot atone for our sins or satisfy the wrath of God. Only the sufferings of Christ on our behalf can do that. Nothing we can do can save us from our sin. Only what Christ has done for us can save us from our sin. If we try to save ourselves by our own good works, we actually only dig the hole deeper. Because God says that all our righteousness is like filthy rags before him, before his holiness, before his justice. All our righteousness only puts us further in debt to God. The only way we can be saved is through the blood and righteousness of Christ, which we receive and embrace by faith, by putting our trust in Jesus, Jesus who suffered for us on the cross so that we could have eternal life through faith in him. Suffering doesn't earn glory, but suffering is the path to glory. There's no glory without suffering. There's no crown without a cross. You can't skip the suffering and get to the glory. It's only through suffering that you get to the glory. Acts 14.22, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Christ suffered for us, and then we suffer with Christ, following in his footsteps. 1 Peter 2.21, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Author John Murray wrote, there is no sharing in Christ's glory unless there is sharing in his sufferings. Sufferings and then glory was the order appointed for Christ himself. The same order applies to those who are heirs with him. Jesus himself said in Luke 24, 26, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Suffering, then glory is the order. That was the order for Christ. That is the order for all who follow Christ. That is the order for all who are fellow heirs with Christ. 1 Peter 4, 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. All of us suffer. We don't all suffer in the same ways, but we all suffer, right? We're all in the same boat together on this stormy sea of suffering. There's no cruise ship for Christians 
We're all in the same boat together. We follow a Savior who suffered, and so we must suffer in his steps. J.C. Ryle wrote the following. All the children of God have a cross to carry. They have trials, troubles, and afflictions to go through for the gospel's sake. They have trials from the world, trials from the flesh, and trials from the devil. They have trials of feeling from relations and friends, hard words, hard treatment, and hard judgment. They have trials in the matter of character, slander, misrepresentation, mockery, insinuation of false motives. All these often rain thick upon them. They have trials in the matter of worldly interests. They have often to choose whether they will please man and lose glory or gain glory and offend man. They have trials from their own hearts. They have each generally their own thorn in the flesh, their own home devil, who is their worst foe. This is the experience of the sons of God. He goes on to say more briefly, suffering is a part of the process by which the sons of God are sanctified. They are chastened to wean them from the world and to make them partakers of God's holiness. Some of them suffer more and some less. Some of them suffer in one way and some in another. God measures out their portions like a wise physician and cannot err. God cannot err and does not err. Not when it comes to our suffering, not when it comes to anything. He is a wise physician and a good physician, and we can trust him fully. Suffering, then glory. Then in the first part of the verse, Paul writes, and if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So as if it weren't enough that we are children of God, we are also said to be heirs of God. It's the children in the family who are heirs of the family inheritance. And if children, then heirs, Paul says. Or Galatians chapter 4, verse 7, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Galatians three twenty nine, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Paul writes in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We are heirs of God. We're going to talk about that in just a minute when we draw to a close, but we are also fellow heirs with Christ, joint heirs, co-heirs with Christ. Christ is our elder brother, and we share in the inheritance with him. And everything we get is what he earned for us. Everything we get is what he deserves 
not what we deserve. We deserve to inherit death and wrath, but instead we inherit favor and life. And that's because Christ got wrath and death for us on the cross, and he earned the favor of God and eternal life for us. And so he got what we deserve, and we get what he deserves, and we are fellow heirs with him. And we are heirs of God. It would be quite something to be the heir of Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or the heir of some other billionaire. But how about to be the heir of God? To be the beneficiary of the Almighty. To be entitled to the inheritance of the possessor of heaven and earth. That would be quite something indeed. And that is who we are as believers in Jesus Christ. We are heirs of God. Kids, I want you to imagine something for just a minute. I want you to imagine that your dad was a king, like in all the stories. Imagine that your dad was a great king over a great kingdom. And he had a huge palace with lots of rooms, lots of bathrooms, lots of kitchens. And outside there were big yards and big gardens and there were horses and all sorts of things that a great king would have. That would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? That would be pretty neat if your dad was a great king. I'm sure your dad is great no matter what job he has, but just imagine that he was a king and you were heir of his kingdom. And if you were the heir of his kingdom, here's what that would mean. That would mean that when you grow up, someday you would inherit, you would get everything that was your dad's. You would get to be king or perhaps queen. You would own that palace and that gardens and horses and all the rest. As the heir, you would inherit the inheritance. It was kind of like that when we believe in Jesus. When we believe in Jesus, we become one of God's children. And because we are one of God's children, we are one of God's heirs. We will inherit the inheritance. And we should ask ourselves, all of us, what is our inheritance according to the Bible? Well, it's the fullness of everything we have now from God in part. Even now, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, Ephesians 1, 3 says. Even now, we have the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Even now, we have the Spirit of God in our hearts as a guarantee of our future inheritance, as a deposit, as a down payment of our future inheritance. And our future inheritance is the fullness of everything we have now in part. Our inheritance will include sinless souls and glorified bodies. Our inheritance will include the full enjoyment of the new heavens and the new earth. A new earth that is no longer under the curse of sin and the effects of the fall. Think of what that would be like. 
Our inheritance will include perfect fellowship with the full number of the elect of God's people, with our brothers and sisters in Christ from every age and from every nation. Our inheritance will include rest from our labors, rest from our fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And our inheritance, as 1 Peter 1, 4 says, will be imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It will last forever and will never end. That is our inheritance as God's people. And yet there's more. Not only will God give us all these things as our inheritance, he will give us himself as our inheritance. Ultimately, God himself is the inheritance of all believers. We are heirs of God in the sense that we are God's heirs as opposed to someone else's heirs. And we are heirs of God in the sense that we inherit God. God himself is our inheritance. Psalm 73, the verse from the front of the bulletin. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Lamentations 3.24 says something similar. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. God is said to be our portion. That is, God is who we get. And God is all we need. Our inheritance includes many gifts, but the best thing about our inheritance is the giver. And the gifts are good because the giver is good. The goodness of the gifts points to the goodness of the giver. We shouldn't lose sight of the giver as we look forward to those gifts. Of course, we shouldn't neglect the gifts. That would dishonor the giver. But we shouldn't neglect the giver as we look forward to the gifts of our inheritance. John Piper asks a challenging question about this in his book called God is the Gospel. He writes, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? In other words, if you take away the giver, would you be satisfied just with his gifts? As believers, we are heirs of God. God is the one who will give us our inheritance, but the best part of the inheritance will be him. Will be fellowship and communion with him for all eternity. He is our portion. He is who we get. He is all we need. He is our portion now and he will be our portion forever. We are heirs of God. One of the Puritan writers, David Clarkson, said, The Lord is our portion. And this is incomparably more than if we had heaven and earth. For all the earth is but as a point compared with the vastness of the heavens. And the heavens themselves are but a point 
compared with God. What a large possession have we then. Our portion fills heaven and earth and is infinitely above heaven and below earth and beyond both. Matthew Henry said, The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and of my cup, the portion I make choice of and will gladly take up with. How poor soever my condition is in this world, let me have the love and favor of God and be accepted of Him. Let me have the comfort of communion with God and satisfaction in the communications of His graces and comforts. Let me have an interest in His promises and a title by promise to everlasting life and happiness in the future state, and I have enough. I need no more. I desire no more to complete my felicity. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children, then we are also heirs. We are heirs of God. He is the one who gives us our inheritance, glorified bodies and sinless souls on a new earth with all his people forever. And he himself is our inheritance. He is our portion. He is who we get. He is all we need, both in this life and in the life to come. And the wonderful thing about having God as our inheritance is that nobody can take him away from us. No circumstance in this life can separate us from him. Though many things can be taken from us in this life, though everything is taken from us in death, the Lord cannot be taken from us or us from him. He is our inheritance and our portion, and therefore we can hope in him. One final thought. If we have God, we have everything. And therefore, even if we were to lose everything in this life, we would still have everything because we would still have God. If you have God, you have all you need. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that, is, that I desire besides you. As believers, we have God himself. We are heirs of God. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your spirit who dwells within us, who bears witness with our spirit that we are your children. And we thank you that because we are your children, we are also your heirs. Thank you for the inheritance that is ours because of our union with Christ. An inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading. And we thank you for the best part of that inheritance. Union and communion with you forever. Please open our eyes to the fact that we have everything we need in you. And help us to live 
in light of the fact that we are your children and we are your heirs. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take just a minute now to think and pray about what we've heard from God's word and then we'll respond by singing to him together.